Praise the Lord. I always hate to interrupt your conversations, but I, I want to get through what I have to so I can hear our pastor preach and teach to us. Amen. You look great tonight. I am, uh, I'm very blessed. I feel blessed to be here. Um, it's good to see all of you, and I, I want to thank all of you for being here and those that are joining us on live stream. I want to thank you as well. We appreciate your faithful attendance. Um, we pray that the Lord bless you as he blesses us so often in our, in our midweek services. Uh, I appreciate the, we appreciate the generosity of grace, and please remember, although we are not picking up uh, offerings as we normally do, that you're able to give in the uh, receptacle in our lobby and, of course, uh, electronically in our website or our app. You are, are certainly able to give there. We appreciate that. There are only a few things that I need to bring to your attention tonight. August 22nd, we will have men's prayer in the A Center at 9 a.m. If you're able to attend, we'd love to have you. We understand also that uh, She's for Christ really blesses a multitude, a myriad of ministries that you in, in the United Pentecostal Church International, but that blessing is contingent upon us giving. So with that in mind, on August 23rd, please uh, mark it on your calendar. We will have our corporate Sheaves for Christ offering here at at Grace. On August 30th, which will supplement that, uh, we will have our baked goods auction in the A Center uh, after the service, which always does very well because we all like to eat. That's just the way it is. So if you please remember that, put, uh, put, uh, put it on your calendar. And a, there's a sign-up sheet in uh, Grand Central if you'd like to participate. And on September 13th, we will have a baby dedication Sunday. And if you have a child that like to be de you'd like to dedicate, please let the church office no. I just want to say praise the Lord. I was thinking before I turned the pulpit over to our pastor, I was thinking about Abraham uh, today. So naturally, my mind went to bowling. I don't know. Just welcome to my world. Uh, the reason is, is because whenever my, my children were small, I would take them bowling, and, and Heather can attest to my spectacular athletic ability especially when the bumpers were up, and that's why I thought about it. And, yes, I'm a grown man, and, yes, I went bowling with the bumpers. I have no problem with that. It's the only way I could beat my kids. But um, the reason I thought about that in conjunction with Abraham is that the reality is that we love, we love promises, don't we, in the Word of God. We love promises. Can I get an amen? But we also love evidence. We love promises, but we love evidence. We like those bumpers as we go along in our spiritual walk with God. And I wrote a few things down I'd like to share with you. Within the natural context of our lives, we, we will move, we, but we prefer to move once we have established the validity of the path and the reality of the destination. We want to know where we're going. We want to be able to see it. We want to be able to feel it and touch it and know that it's there. We want to know that it's real. That mindset, however, is, is often in opposition to our walk with God and his expectations of our interaction with him. They run contrary to our relationship with the Lord. If you read in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is where Abraham received his covenant promise from God. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country. We know this scripture. We know it by heart. And if we ever, ever really thought about its implications... Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. He did not have the benefit of the bumpers of knowing where he was going immediately. Verse 2 says, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee. And I will make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Abraham's interaction with God began with obedient movement in faith. The abandoning of the familiar and safe in order to set into motion a divine promise that, that Abraham would never see. He would never see that great nation. He would never possess that land except for a small plot of land he could bury his wife. The realization of God's promise in his life was predicated upon Abraham's obedience without the benefit of those things we normally require to make any move. Abraham was told, 
you do first. And then God said, I will. So my prayer for you tonight and for myself is that we can be obedient and do, trusting in God's I will. Praise the Lord. I'm excited tonight to hear from our pastor. Can we give a hand clap of praise as our pastor takes the pulpit? Thank you, Ben, and great to see all of you here. And uh, thank you so very much for coming and uh, being a part of our Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, I'm trustworthy or trusting tonight that um, you won't be disappointed that you came. Um, I believe God wants to talk to all of us here tonight. And uh, with the help of the Lord, we will do our best to bring to you what I believe God has spoken to me. I would like for all of you here on campus and those watching on live stream to, to note that we will have the lanyards. I believe they'll be here Sunday. And we've opted to only do two colors, as you saw on the screen and, and heard it announced that uh, if you wear a red one, that means please maintain space and distancing. And uh, I'm asking everybody to be very respectful of that. And then the yellow one says, I'll give you a fist bump or an elbow bump, and uh, but really don't want to shake hands and what have you. Um, the best way I know to say it, if you're not wearing a lanyard, you're fair game. So, I mean, somebody can hop on your shoulders if they want to and ride around the church, whatever they want to do. So, uh, so remember that. So if you forget to pick up a lanyard from the concierge desk coming in Sunday, you forget to wear one, and somebody comes up to shake your hand, don't be offended at that. Uh, because if you're not wearing a lanyard, then they'll believe that you would like to shake hands and hug necks and what have you. So, uh, But please remember that for Sunday, and uh, we'll, have, we'll have a great time. This past Sunday was tremendous just the, the worship the the environment here the just the the atmosphere here Sunday was just absolutely incredible and uh, it did feel like for the most part that our Grace Church family was back and uh, I was just so excited and fulfilled to see that <clears throat> before I read my scripture text tonight um, I was, Sister Murphy and I had lunch today and I was explaining to her that when God worked with me uh, the other night, I shared that with you, it's been a couple of three weeks ago now, um, I preached a sermon about it uh, three or four Sundays ago, I don't remember the exact time, but God gave me a, an assignment, God gave me an assignment and was to lead us out of a, a mindset uh, that has enveloped not only Grace Church, but probably every church on this planet. Um, and that's my job. Well, it, it, it occurred to me this week, and I was amazed at Brother Ben's comments because he, got, he overlapped some of what I want to say before we read our scripture text, that Abraham's assignment was to bring them to a land to a topographic position, topographic place, a literal place. Um, and he did what God asked him to do. And I felt like 11, 12 years ago, about 12 years ago, I guess, God seemingly asked us to lead our church from our old location to this one. So we're, we're on our campus of promise and I don't believe this is the end. I believe there's more to come. But I do believe this is our, our campus of promise. So now the assignment <clears throat> is very similar to Moses. Moses led them out of Egypt to a literal land, but he had to change their attitude first and uh, to get them out of Egypt. And I, I still believe that's where we are. I believe we're making progress. But I'm still not confident that everybody's totally on board with where they could be in their relationship with God, their faith in God, I believe we still have some work to do. And that's what I've come to address 
<clears throat> tonight. And uh, Lord willing, we will address it again Sunday. In Mark chapter 5, verse 21, I know we've hit this scripture setting hard, and I hope you're not weary with it. If you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to turn with me in your Bible. I believe Brother Dave asked you Sunday morning if you have your Bible to hold it up in the, up, up the air. Would you do that again tonight? Uh, look at that. Thank you, guys. Man, you, you folks are, that's just really amazing. Thank you for being so kind and honoring that and continue to do so. Don't get lazy with it. Uh, keep it on your priority list. Before you come to church, you make sure your Bible's with you. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. <clears throat> and when Jesus passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. Now I want you to understand the scripture setting in Mark 4 and 5 on, on preceding this, Jesus told his disciples, get into a ship and go to the other side, and they did. And Jesus cast the devils out of the man at Gadara and what have you. Now they've come back. So they've come back to the other side of the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth. At the point of death, I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Yet while he spake, there come there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid. Only believe. The man's 12-year-old daughter had just died. And Jesus said, be not afraid, only believe. My question is, believe what? It's kind of too late. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John and, the, and the, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Here goes that Sarah laughing again. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered into in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded them and commanded that something should be given her to eat. It's interesting to me that the woman with the issue of blood had that for 12 years and this little girl was 12 years old. The number 12 has to do with just total completeness and fulfillment in the word of God. <clears throat> I don't have the time tonight and not prepared to go into all the detail of this like I would like to, but I'm going to give you what I believe God wants us to have tonight. 
And I hope it's a mind changer, a heart changer, a brain changer for you. I want to speak to you for a little while tonight about the impact of your greatest fear. The impact of your greatest fear. I believe there's a lot of people that's afraid tonight. Afraid of this pandemic, afraid that it's never going to end. Afraid of what's going to happen to our country. And there's just a lot of stuff that's going on in our world today. Fear. We don't usually like to think about fear or even talk much about fear. But fear actually determines and drives much of what we do or don't do. The repeated mention of fear or of being afraid is what caught my attention back to this scripture setting that I just read to you. So in summary, there was a story of Jesus and the disciples caught out on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm. And the disciples are fearful that the boat is going to go down and they're going to drown. But here's my message. This is what I want everybody to hear. Live stream, everybody, this is what I want you to hear. Their greatest fear, apparently, was waking Jesus up. They were more afraid to bother him. They didn't want to arouse him, to wake him up. But they used that fear for the most positive outcome. Their fear of the storm finally overrides their fear of waking Jesus up. Their fear of the storm overrides their fear of waking Jesus up. I'd be excited for all of us to reach that point like right now. That our fear of what's going on in the world would cause us to wake Jesus up in our lives. That's pretty much my message tonight. I'm going to continue, but that's what I want to spend a little time tonight unpacking. After calming the wind and waves, Jesus' first question for the disciples is, why are you so afraid? Mark reports that once all the storm waters are calmed, they're even more terrified. So their fear transfers from the storm to what Jesus did with the storm. Their fear transfers from the arena of a physical, natural form, a storm, to what Jesus did to remove the storm. The Bible said they were terrified. So they went from one fear to another. And they asked one another, who is this? Apparently, Jesus showing them his ability to calm the storm Apparently Jesus apparently Jesus showing them his ability to calm the storm was more terrifying to them than the storm itself. I'll ask you again tonight as I did several Sundays ago, what are you really afraid of? They cross to the other side of the lake and, and there they encounter a man who is demon-possessed. Everyone was fearful of him. This whole thing is encapsulated in fear, all of it. All this story, all these stories that overlap with each other, the whole one common denominator is fear. The disciples were afraid on the boat. Now they get to where they were going Jesus promised destination after calming the storm and they meet up a demoni with a demoniac who is literally a lunatic and they're terrified of him. <clears throat> Everyone was fearful of this man due to his violence against others and against himself. He yells and screams all the time. He lives naked in a cemetery 
And Jesus sends the demons from the man into a herd of pigs. They get terrified and they charge off the side of a cliff and commit suicide into the bottom of the sea. People from all around come to see what happened. And Mark tells us that when they arrive and see the man who had been possessed sitting next to Jesus dressed in his right mind, they were afraid again. Just fear keeps producing fear and that fear produces another fear. Are y'all following me here tonight? Let me rehearse just a moment. They're terrified of the storm on the boat. Jesus calms the storm and his action scares them more. They get to the Isle of Gadara. They're terrified of the demoniac. Jesus delivers the man and they're more terrified now than they were before. What you have to see here is that what Jesus would like to do to rectify the fear in our life, he runs a risk of making us more afraid if he does it. So they asked Jesus after delivering the demoniac, casting the demons out of him, they asked him, they plead with him to please just go away. We would rather our first fear, we'd rather have the man chained to a tombstone and scream all night than for you to come in here and deliver him and just freak us out. That's what they're saying. So just leave. And maybe if we're all lucky, I guess the pigs are history, but maybe all the demons have come back to the man and we can get back to life as normal. I want to have you folks understand that God has been really working with me and I'm, I'm, I'm hard-headed, man. I, I just, there are just some things I have a hard time sometimes getting my head around, but I believe God is, I, I'm, I'm persuaded God has spoken to me that because of this, even prior to this pandemic, we had so many fears that God's... <laughs> It's almost like if God healed us of whatever's wrong in our body, we would feel worse. It's a crazy mindset, and I'm struggling to even get my head around it. Why would Jesus calming the storm make them more afraid? Why would him casting the demons out of this man make them more afraid? You'd think it would bring peace. But there's something in the design of human nature, I suppose, that when they see an act of the supernatural, I think it's fascinating, not in an entertaining way. I think it's amazing. I'm, I'm just stupefied when God does something miraculous, just so amazing for people. But it's like we're uncomfortable with that when it happens. We, we, it, it's far more normal to go to the doctor, Pastor. I talked to Brad Storns, and I have his permission to do this, uh, yesterday, and uh, talked to him on the phone, and he said, before we hang up, I have something to share with you, and um, I believe it was Fallon's sister, and uh, her children were at their house this weekend, and uh, Keegan, their little four-year-old, been swimming in their pool most of the day, and even into the night, and just had a great time, and finally just tuckered out and um, Brad Fallon made them a pallet in their bedroom and uh, for him and his company to just lay down and go to sleep and uh, Fallon was awakened first by Keegan's breathing he explained it's like you take a balloon and blow it up and then you pinch the end of it and it squeals it makes that squealing noise is what it sounded like and shortly after she woke up he woke up and he was very obviously struggling to breathe. And so Brad, of course, with his relationship with the fire department said, just kind of thought to himself, I'm going to call the fire station and see if the ambulance is there, and I'll just take him there. I mean, an ambulance is an intensive care unit on wheels. That's what it boils down to is what I understand. But then something came over him. 
And he said he picked him up and kind of threw him up on his shoulder, and he just started walking around their house, pacing, running around their house, and calling on the name of Jesus. And he said, just like that, his breathing returned to normal. He went limp on his shoulder and finally just turned around to Fallon and said, is, is he okay? Is he breathing? He said, I could feel on his back he was breathing. He said, yeah, he's sleeping. Just like that. That don't scare me. Okay, y'all aren't hearing what I'm saying. That doesn't make me afraid. That doesn't make me set him down somewhere and look back and say, what just happened here? I better run and hide somewhere and take him to the hospital anyway. And Jesus, if you'd get out of my house, I'd appreciate it. Are y'all hearing me now? Why do we have a propensity to, we say we want the miraculous, but we don't always put ourselves out there for it to happen. And I applauded Brad. I said, thank you for giving Jesus a shot at it first. Not only did he heal him just like that instantly on the spot, I believe that's a, you, you, you Grace Church people listen. I believe that's, that's a doorway opening right now. That's only the beginning of what Jesus wants to do. If we can get our head turned around, that's only the start of it. I believe we can see blinded eyes open and deaf ears hearing and the lame people walking and cancers healed and even the dead raised to life again. We can see that happen, but there's something that's going to have to happen in our head first so that when these things do happen, we don't get all scared. So God dealing with me as, as pastor is, is showing me that's why this fear thing is why so many prayers go unanswered and so many healings never take place is there's a strange abstract form of fear in us that we say we believe but we're like the man in the Bible that said, but Lord help my unbelief. But I want you to notice, everybody didn't get to go across the sea to watch that storm get calmed, like I talked to you about several Sundays ago. And when Jesus went to raise the little girl from the dead, how many did he take with him? The crowd even got smaller. Even those that witnessed the calming of the storm didn't take the trip into the bedroom where the little dead girl was. You hear me tonight. We can maintain our attitude and go back to normal if we want to. But I believe God is going to start culling people out of the crowd and say, come with me. I want to take you on a ship ride that's going to freak you out. But by the time you get to where I'm taking you, you're going to understand who I am. And then when we come back, if you're still full of faith, I'm going to leave you behind. But I'm going to take three, just three more. And we're going to come in here and really see what I'm able to do. Is anybody up for the ride tonight? Anybody up for the journey? I want to get rid of this fear thing, man. There's a whole dimension of God that we're not, we've not seen it. I'm still going to preach a sermon on this, this particular point. It'll be later. Our, our mindset's going to have to be a little bit different before I can. Fear. Everybody say fear. On the other hand, fear seems to draw people to Jesus. Fear of illness, fear of death, of evil. But then fear with probably most of us pushes us away from him. Don't want to get too close. We're afraid of his power. It's a fear of his knowledge that seems to see to the very core of every person. In our scripture setting, you'll probably agree that Jesus is so compassionate yet so controversial He's on a mission, and he can't accommodate everybody's wishes. He can't, he can't make everybody happy, if you will. So he's, 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 he's compassionate in an immeasurable way, but on the other hand, he's being so controversial. Jesus 
in their world, in our scripture setting, has thrown everything on its head. He's turned their world upside down. What has happened to us? Jesus seems to recognize the deep fears within people. Fear. What kind of fear did you bring to church with you tonight? Or maybe you're thinking, I'm not a fearful person. What do I have to be afraid of? Let's talk about that. I don't consider myself to be a fearful person, but I've had my moments. I'm the kind of person who's not afraid when I should be and probably am afraid when I shouldn't be. I wasn't too afraid when my motorcycle accident happened. I've said many times the ambulance ride was worse than the accident. One thing I am afraid of sometimes is the lack of ability to defend myself and to protect Sister Murphy because of age. I guess it's a man thing. I'm terrified about missing the rapture and dying not being right with God. I'm terrified of the tribulation period. I get really terrified when I can't hear from God. I get really terrified when I don't know how our Grace Church families are doing. It's, it's uncomfortable to think about our fears, to, to be afraid. I'm, I'm talking to you folks from my heart tonight. I'm not going through some kind of scriptural calisthenics here tonight. God inspired me with this just yesterday. It's uncomfortable to think about our fears, to be afraid. So often uh, we deny our fears and, or call them something else like anxiety or worry, but they're still there. They still motivate our, act, uh, uh, motivate our actions or our inactions, you may, you may exercise each day motivated by a fear of losing physical abilities as you age, afraid of one day not being able to bend down and tie your shoes anymore, of losing independence, or maybe you don't exercise because you fear of getting injured more than you fear the slow decline of age. If you do get an injury or an illness, how many put off getting treatment out of fear of the huge cost of health care and Fear of financial insecurity drives many choices and there is the fear of being lonely, the fear of losing a loved one, the fear of what drugs or other addictions can do, the fear of violent individuals or violent gangs. There's the fear of failing or looking foolish. There's the fear of being caught in a helpless, hopeless situation. Some of these fears drive the individuals in the stories that we're hearing right now in the scripture. Jairus is a leader of the synagogue in the small town of Capernaum. He's certainly well aware of the trouble Jesus has been causing, the uproar that Jesus has been causing. He's aware of the upper echelon from the Jerusalem temple that came to confront Jesus on breaking Jewish law, probably paid a side visit to Jared, Jairus and told him, you better behave with all this Jesus business. Jairus could have been afraid of getting too mixed up in that, of, of having his synagogue status rebuked by the religious leaders if it looked like he was endorsing Jesus in his ministry. He could have been afraid of the Romans, the Roman authorities who would blame him, a synagogue president, for the crowds around Jesus and disturbing the peace. But here again is my message. Jairus fear of losing his child was greater than any other fear that he had. His fear of losing his child drove him to Jesus. That's the impact of your greatest fear. It's using your fear to a spiritual advantage. I'm not going to be afraid of our world and what's going on in our world. I'm more afraid of not having a good relationship with Jesus. This statement encapsulates my fear. You must understand. You must understand with me tonight. Should your fear of COVID be your greatest fear? Should your fear of our world be your greatest fear? Or should the manifestation of your faith and trust in God or lack thereof be your greatest fear? As your pastor, I wrestled with this paragraph in my notes. I took it out. I put it back, took it out, put it back. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I told somebody here a while back the reason I believe God uses me is I'm as dumb as a box of rocks and I'll get up and say anything. 
Just the kind of guy Jesus is looking for. But as your pastor, very careful, and I'm very respectful here tonight, I'd almost rather preach someone's funeral who passed away from COVID who is right with God than to see someone get so disillusioned with God and their faith that they completely lose out with God. My fear of what can happen to a person's attitude is greater than a person getting COVID. My fear. That's my fear. Maybe not yours, but it's mine. If someone's diagnosed with COVID or any other thing going around in our atmosphere, I know somebody that can take care of it. But you get someone whose faith has been damaged, whose faith has been corrupted, you'll never get them back. There's people sitting here tonight that has spouses and relatives and kids and moms and dads and all that who got crossways with God or the church over something and you can't get them in that door. So again, my fear of what can happen to a person's attitude is greater than a person getting COVID, cancer, or anything else. Your chances of surviving COVID is far greater than surviving spiritually an attitude of doubt, complacency, and fear. Folks, listen to Pastor. I now know of apostolic church people who have told me out of their own mouth that they believe they can stay home and watch live stream church permanently. It just works out, man. You don't have to get up and get dressed. You don't have to get in your car. You just you don't have to you don't have to fool with all that. Just stay at home. I've heard people say that. We can't let that happen. It is not scriptural. What we are saying and manifesting to our kids scares me more than COVID. Our fear of what can happen to us spiritually should be greater than what COVID can do to us physically. Jairus' fear of losing his child is greater than any other fear, even the fear of personal humiliation. So he falls at the feet of Jesus and begs Jesus to come put his healing hand on his 12-year-old daughter that's dying. It's the impact of his greatest fear. So let's continue. The anonymous woman in the crowd had been living in a life of fear for the past 12 years. There's been a fear of her illness, the bleeding, the painful procedures, doctors poking and prodding and practicing a primitive kind of medicine. She's lost all dignity. Her illness has cost her so much, she fears for her survival. Under Jewish law, female problems like hers were seen as a judgment from God, so there's been the additional indignity of being shunned from the community. She had to avoid any kind of contact with her family or neighbors, a tremendous loss, loneliness, grief, and so on. Without family protection, there were many more fears, but the fear of the wrath and condemnation of her community if she tries to come among them is even greater and has kept her away from Jesus for 12 years. Fear stops us from living fully, from living fruitfully, from living faithfully. Fear leads us to a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. So while she is working on a strategy to get to Jesus, watch this. The messengers from Jairus' house express a sense of hopelessness when they arrive with the message, the girl is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Even the disciples express a sense of helplessness when they say to Jesus, the people are crowding against you. How can we know who touched you? But there is something, but there is something stronger than their fears which flies in the face of the helplessness and the hopelessness they've been enveloped in. And it is Jesus. It is Jesus. There's something stronger and greater and more powerful that can do anything, that can accomplish anything. 
Somebody wake him up tonight. Get over your fear of what a calm storm would be like in your life and say, God, get up and help me right now. There's something about Jesus that sparks hope that supplies determination. It replaces fear with faith because Jesus responds. Jesus restores. Jesus reunites. He reunites this young woman with her parents. He reunites her with her community. We've got to be reunited with Jesus, with our community, with our church. The word actually used by Mark in the story is that Jesus saved her. Jairus asked Jesus to put his hands on his daughter so that she would be saved, is the word. The woman says to herself, if I just but touch his clothes, I will be saved. Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has saved you. If you're looking at the NIV for some reason, you will notice it actually has been translated into the word heal. But the word in Greek is sozo, which is is translated 93 times as save in the Bible, but only three times as heal. We often think of salvation of being saved as restricted to being forgiven of our sin. But salvation is far broader than that. Salvation is also about being able to live a life free of fear, free from helplessness, and saved from hopelessness. Brother Dave, I'm feeling your pain right now. Just feels like it's just going right there. Just, just dying right there at the altar area. But I'm going to preach it anyway. Salvation is about wholeness in life, just not in the next. Salvation is finding ourselves having faith in our community. Salvation is being set free to living faithfully. When Jesus tells the woman, daughter, your faith has saved you, he's not implying that she somehow saved herself, but that it was her faith that allowed God's saving power to flow through her. Her act of faith acted as the conduit through which Jesus' healing power could flow. That's what happened to Brad the other night in his house. He was just a conduit. God saw his faith. He went home the Sunday we preached, and he anointed his doorways and all that in his house and, and, and in honor of what pastor preached and whatnot. I believe God honored that. So God walked back through those doors and honored his faith and took care of his little baby boy. This woman didn't sneak up behind Jesus and steal a miracle. Salvation is free. It's grace. It's how Jesus wants people to live. It's how he wants us to live. The woman needed more than just physical healing. She needed to share her whole truth with Jesus. And despite it all, Jesus ended up calling her daughter. She needed her acceptance to be witnessed by the folks who had shunned her. Mark tells the stories of these two healings, these two salvation stories, if you will, in a way that has become known because of Mark as a story sandwich. One story told within another story so that the two together, they are fuller than they would be alone. The stories are woven together and play off of each other in their contrast and in their similarities. The interruption of the nameless woman into the story of Jairus and his daughter, Bill Suspense, and we're forced to wait. And the sense of helplessness and hopelessness builds for Jairus. The disciples' fear of arriving too late means they think Jesus is even being a little ridiculous to stop and worry about who touched him. You understand how Jesus is being insanely compassionate, if you'll accept that. Or, or compassionate, you, if, you, if you'll accept that terminology, he's being just crazy compassionate 
but so abstract and unusual and odd. But can you imagine how Jairus must have felt as he thought he had Jesus coming with him? And this woman shows up and Jesus stops and turns around the other direction looking around for somebody to come forward. And Jesus stands there patiently while this woman is on her feet in front of him telling her whole life story. And Jairus is over here screaming, Jesus, please, can you come on? Come on, man. My daughter's dying. You can come back to her later. How long did that conversation take? How long did it take that woman to tell her story? Was it two minutes? Was it 30? Was it an hour? The tension rises as the needs of the hopeless woman and the dying girl seem to be in conflict with each other. Jesus has to make a choice here. Who are you going to heal? You listen to pastor tonight. The point Jesus was proving was this. The delay is long enough that Jairus' hope is crushed by bad news from home. Yet by weaving the stories together, we see that not only can Jesus save, but his saving of one person does not come at the cost of another. It's possible for God to be working in both situations simultaneously. A story sandwich as this is, is how we are to read Jesus' story within the wider story of God's working with Israel. God's Jesus' story is understood more clearly when we see it together in the story of the Exodus or the story of the Passover as well as the other way around. Our own personal stories are to be seen as sandwiched within God's story and the, and the story of the Bible. Listen to Pastor, notice the screen. The Bible is to butt up against life so that our lives cannot make sense without it and that we cannot make sense of the scriptures without the witness of our life. The Bible needs our lives right now. The story of the scripture needs our lives right now. They need our sickness. the, the, The Bible needs our discouragement. The Bible needs our pain. But at the same time, we need the Bible working in us, in our pain, and in our discouragement, and in our sickness. Do we understand that? I have sandwiched. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight. I have sandwiched these stories from Mark 5 with the story of our life and our world today. I'm going to jump track on you real quick here. I've heard and seen things differently. and I'm not going to go to the detail of where all this is coming from. Just take it right now as face value. As I considered the fears that drove Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood, I hear the fears of others more distinctly. There's many fears I've heard have been in the stories of fleeing refugees and migrants in countries around the world. I've said many, many times when people complain about what's going on in our country and and all this stuff going on, why don't you move to one of these countries where there's a lot of civil war going on and see what it's like living. Go, Go spend the night in one of those places. How do you think the people of Iraq felt during the war? a number of years ago. How did they feel? You, you may like them or not like them. I'm not talking about that. Set all of that aside. How did they feel when they didn't know if a bomb was going to drop on their home tonight from the United States of America? You want to talk about fear? They, were, they had fears of violence at home, fears for their very survival if they do not leave. They waited until the fears of being torn apart from children or parents due to violence or starvation drove them to overcome the fears of leaving their country, their fears of dangerous journeys, their fears of border crossings. It overcame the fear of being humiliated, of begging and pleading for strangers to make space for them in their own homes. We've never experienced that. But they used their fear to impact them in the most positive way. If I don't get out of here, I'm going to die. They are drawn along by a glimmer of hope 
a spark of faith in God's saving power, the belief that life isn't life unless they were free to live fully and fruitfully and faithfully, faith and hope pushing them to defy the helplessness and hopelessness of their situation. Look at the picture of the young woman on the screen. Her name is Warsan Shire, a British Somali poet who is the author of the poem, the piece of poetry, Home. It puts words to the fears and helplessness and hopelessness of so many refugees and so many places around our world today. You may have heard it or read it before. If you choose to read it, read it at your own discretion. But hear the opening line. Let it be sandwiched into the story of Jairus and the nameless woman. Warsan writes, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. When I hear these images of fear and of helplessness and hopelessness sandwiched into Mark 5, I hear Jesus speaking not to, to Jairus but to each and every person who is losing hope yet wanting to believe that God can indeed save in the face of Jairus' worst fears the message that his daughter is dead. I just, I don't feel like y'all are hearing me tonight. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm real sorry about that. I'm not doing a good job, I don't guess. But I, I'm, I'm astounded. I'm astounded. I can't believe what he would say. Anybody in their right mind, and all due respect, I'm just being honest here tonight. You walk up to me and, Brother Ben, you walk up to me, God forbid that one of your daughters just died. I want to pull you in close. You cry on my shoulder, man. I'll weep and sob with you. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't offer any words of comfort and come on over to me, man. Come ye that are heavy laden and all that. In this situation, he didn't do that. He looked at Jairus' bread and said, Stop being afraid. Well, my word, man. What do you want me to do here? Start running the aisles? My daughter's dead. Let's shout hallelujah. This is what we fear. Because when Jesus comes to us, he challenges everything we're made of. He challenges everything to our very core. You say you believe in me, Put your money where your mouth is. Five minutes ago, Jairus, you has had all the faith in the world that believed I would come to your house and pray for her and she would be healed. Now that she's dead, what? Buddy, we had all the faith in the world. We've seen miracles here. Teresa, I still remember... Uh, Tucker, it's old age. Actually, I had water on the brain when I was a kid and everything, it froze and everything slips my mind. Ice is slippery and it slips my mind. But I remember Brother Dave right over there, prayed for him. And he couldn't go, he came to church, could hardly walk. He was limping, facing potentially surgery. Sat him on the floor and he ran across the, like nothing ever happened. I asked Brad the, yesterday on the phone, I said, did Keegan say anything about the night before? He said, no, he's never mentioned it. Before this pandemic thing hit, we had all the faith in the world, man. We've seen miracles. I still remember the uh, Kakandas miracles with her twins. I, I still remember it was Shawan Palmer that you could take her kneecap on one of her legs and run it all the way up her leg. is completely dislodged. Sister Murphy laid hands on her one night in Baker. Her therapist came the next day. Her physical therapist came to work with her, and he said, your knee ain't moving. Are you hurting anywhere? No, and surgery was canceled. I remember the lady that came up with a cataract on her eye, and we prayed for her when we were in Baker, and she screamed, and I was done praying with her. She said, I can see God healed her just like that. We had all the faith in the world. But everything around us 
in just a few days died. Churches around the world were shut down. Yes, they were. McDonald's dining room closed and Wingstop dining room closed. I'm thinking, oh God, what am I going to do here? Walmart kind of closed. I did prophesy, saying that kind of a sarcastic way. Somebody said, what about football season? Are they going to play football? There's too much money involved in it. And they will. They are. They're planning to. But we just died. Everything died. It's like everybody's faith just went out the window. All of a sudden, we're paralyzed with fear that if, in all due respect, Ken, but his dad passed away with COVID a few weeks ago is what I'm referring to. And, and uh, Sister Renita's had an uncle this passed away. I'm very respectful of that. But across the board, People shut down their lives and, oh my, if I get COVID, I'm going to die. Where did Jesus go all of a sudden? Where did our faith go all of a sudden? And I believe what Jesus wanted us to say when all this COVID thing, or what he wanted us to hear, and I missed it. I'm being honest. I wasn't afraid. I just didn't know what to do. Nobody I know has ever been through a pandemic on this planet that I could call. Hey, man, what would you do with your church during that time? I don't know what to do. I obeyed the government. We had church for eight straight Sundays on live stream. But I believe Jesus was screaming to us. I didn't hear it. Stop being afraid. Only believe. That was the same message to the bleeding outcast woman. Stop being afraid. Just keep on believing. Keep on living faithfully and you'll be restored. And I believe that is Jesus' message to refugees who are desperate to find a place in our world that is safe where they can live without fear and live fruitfully and faithfully. Jesus says stop afraid. Just keep on believing. That is the message to each one of us here tonight. What are the fears you brought with you? What are they? Jesus says, stop being afraid. Just keep on believing. Just keep on trusting and living faithfully. Let me tell you what I also know to be true. That as the church, as Christ's body in this world, We are to speak Jesus' message to others, to family, to friends, to strangers, to anyone and everyone living in fear. We are to say to them, stop being afraid. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be all huddled up in fear and whispering on the phone that I'm going, I've got a death sentence looming over my head. No, we don't. It's God's church. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says God's church is going down like this. Maybe it'd be better if it was Sunday. But we are to be saying to one another, And to our world, stop being afraid. Just keep believing. We are to speak in Jesus' name and with his authority and to hopeless and helpless and fear-filled situations. And then, like Jesus, we are to act, to walk alongside them as Jesus' hands and feet. We have the power to alter the condition of people's lives, to bring hope, to bring help, to bring love that will cast out all fear. All right, I'm going to give you a pass tonight. Crowd's kind of sparse and I understand. But in your little Wednesday night Bible study mindset, if it was Sunday, I'd have to have you do it Sunday style. But since it's Wednesday, I'll have to do it Wednesday style. But if you can, turn to somebody close to you or across the aisle from you 
and tell them in the name of Jesus to stop being afraid. Boy, y'all did good. Stop being afraid. <laughs> you know why you left? It's because you don't believe it. You just did it because pastor asked you to do it. But I believe it. And I'm telling everybody here tonight, in the name of Jesus, and this watching on live stream right now, stop being afraid and just keep on believing. God ain't done with this yet. Everybody stand to your feet. I'm close to being done here. Now, did y'all hear the way I just said that? Can you clear your throat? Now look at somebody and tell them in confidence and in power, do it. Don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. I'm not being ugly. But I'm trying to shock us out of the reality we're living in. I'm sick and tired of it, man. This is God's church. He paid a price for this. It's not the will of God. He said, perfect love catcheth out all fear. Why are we afraid tonight? I know a God that can heal four-year-old kids, that can heal busted kneecaps, that can heal cancer, that can raise the dead. What are we afraid of tonight? So our greatest fear, our greatest fear, if you're afraid of anything, this should be it. If you, if you can't muster up faith, all right, take your fear and use it as a tool. Use it to your advantage. Our greatest fear should be having our faith and confidence in God, our confidence in the church, our confidence in His promise, our confidence in his word forever shattered. That should be our greatest fear. So if you can make that your greatest fear, then let that fear make the greatest impact in your life. Let it motivate you to pursue a place in God that you've never been and it make you more determined to fulfill his purpose in you. This pandemic does not set the parameters of our faith. The word of God does. The word of God does. The word of God does. Praise God. Let's praise the Lord together. Let's thank him for being here with us tonight. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God, for the inspiration, the challenge, the mind stretch that your word throws at us every time we open it. I pray in Jesus' name that our lives are impacted, that our lives are changed, that our minds are changed. That don't be afraid to keep on believing. And we're going to keep on worshiping and we're going to keep on serving. I'm going to step out on faith. We're going to keep showing up on this campus. We're going to gather together as a collective body. I want to say tonight, in all due respect of our live streamers, you're not getting right now what we're saying like the people in this building are right now. I appreciate you watching. I'm not saying that. But the Bible says, for a reason to forsake not the assembling of yourself together. There's a reason for that. And it's because there's a solidarity of faith. There's a solidarity of Christianhood. There's a solidarity of servanthood. There's a solidarity of trust and belief when the people of God, I feel something here tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody clap your hand to the Lord and let's praise Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Pray for Pastor when you can, when you think of it, our ministry team. We've got a mountain to climb. But God's going to enable us to do it in Jesus' name. Thank the Lord. God bless you for being here tonight. Go to somebody if you can. Get a little grit and gravel in your voice and tell them, don't be afraid. 
Just only believe. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.